Greetings. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your day. Those tunes you just heard, as always, are courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey, and I'm your host, Tessa Mara. Today we head over to Natchez, Mississippi, and check out the very haunted King's Tavern. In front of this establishment is a plaque which reads, King's Tavern, Bledsoe House, oldest building in Natchez. Standing before 1789, operated as a tavern, stage stop, and mail station at the end of Natchez Trace, now owned and restored by the Pilgrimage Garden Club of Natchez. The amazing structure that is King's Tavern was actually built with longboat shipmen's boat boards, which I think is kind of cool, different and unique. It was built during the Spanish settlement in 1769. The British were very much here. Their presence was strong, and they established Fort Panmure. It was built with the purpose of being a blockhouse for the fort. Now, in 1789, well after the Revolutionary War, Richard King, a man who made his way from his native home back in New York to settle down with his family here in Natchez, Mississippi. Well, he ends up buying the former blockhouse and opens up a tavern and an inn. When King bought the joint, not only was it a place for one to get some rest and some nice, cold, fresh beer, but also it became the city's very first post office. With the town mail being dropped off here and travelers and locals alike making their way to the tavern, this move proved to be an extremely phenomenal business deal. And business, it was successful, and in a very short time of opening up shop, business was booming. This attracted the attention of many locals and travelers. Unfortunately, it's around this time that several undesirables come over here to Natchez, setting up shop for their extremely illegal and quite deadly activities. Highwaymen, thieves, and straight-out-of-hell cold-blooded murderers, killing some of the clientele. Now, once the invention of the steamboat was introduced, the once-booming business that was King's Tavern suddenly dries up, and Richard King closes up shop and he sells the tavern. Before things soured, and when times were still good, well, maybe they were a little too good for Richard, who is a married man, by the way, he hires a gorgeous young lady named Madeline to be the server at the tavern. This proves to be a fatal error on his part. The more time Richard spends with Madeline, the married man just cannot resist his urges, and it doesn't take long for the owner and the employee to be involved in a steamy and hot affair. It's unknown how long the extramarital activities took place, but eventually Mrs. King does find out 
once she finds out the mistress that is Madeline's fate, well, it is sealed. It's one of Natchez's mysteries, really. It's unknown what exactly takes place, but whether King's wife took it upon herself to get the scarlet that was Madeline, whom she saw as a total homewrecker, out of her life, and more importantly, out of Richard's life, permanently. Or perhaps she hired some of those undesirables I mentioned earlier, perhaps a highwayman or a murdering thug, All that's known is is that Madeline is never seen alive again. Word was spreading like wildfire that the mistress's body was concealed in a chimney. The very chimney that is in the main room of the tavern right now. Nothing worse than a woman scorned. If you disagree, hmm, just ask Madeline. Well, fast forward to sometime in the... Oh, 1930s, a family, they are now living in the former tavern, and they're doing some much-needed TLC and renovations on the location. Well, one day, they are working on the fireplace and the beautiful brick chimney when they suddenly make a grisly discovery. Not one, not two, but three. One, two, three. Mummified bodies are recovered. Two men and one young woman. And yet, in another chimney, another grim finding, a dagger, in what's believed to be the murder weapon. It's believed that the woman's remains, well, those are Madeline's. When it comes to the two men, their identities remain kind of unknown, unfortunately. Unsavory folks seemed to be attracted to King's Tavern, like bees to honey. Like Homer Simpson to beer. Like Norman Bates to his mother. Don't you dare touch me! You get the drift. Speaking of the unsavory and unruly, enter the Harper brothers. Joshua, better known as Big Harper, and William, also known as Little Harper, or Harp. Word is that Big Harp was at one time staying at King's Tavern, sitting one day at the bar, having a drink, when suddenly the sound of a baby cry distracts him from his drinking. He follows the sounds of the distressed baby cries and goes into the room, grabs the baby violently, swings it by the feet, and throws it hard into the wall, the very hard, unforgiving brick wall. No more cries, no more nothing. The baby is dead. Death is instantaneous. The Harp brothers certainly made names for themselves in the deep, dark, bloody history books, considered to be one of the first documented serial killers in America. This murderous duo did not care who they murdered. Men, women, and as we know, yes, even babies. The death toll remains unknown, but it's believed that at least 39 people did die by their hands. Possibly much higher, and even into the 50s, or even more. One day Big Harp, who we know to have killed a baby at King's Tavern, violently grabs his infant daughter, who at this point has been uncontrollably crying. Who knows? Maybe she's teething. Who the hell knows? Either way, he bashes her tiny little head into a tree. Later on, he would confess that this was the sole crime that he committed that he ever felt true remorse over. More of a little look into their bloody crimes for a sec. At one point, the brothers, who were very much wanted by the law, had been hiding out at the Stiegel family home. One night, they ended up murdering an overnight guest. Now, I'm unsure if the Stagels were 
operating an inn or just had a friend staying over. Either way, they murdered this particular person. And sadly, he would not be the only victim. The Stagel's four-month-old baby is crying. So the brothers punished the baby by slitting its throat. I mean, just absolutely brutal. And of course, upon seeing her child being brutally murdered, Mrs. Stagel starts crying uncontrollably and her life expires as well. Three horrific, senseless murders in just one day. All in a day's work for little and big harp. This massacre would be their downfall. Their time on earth is running out. Tick tock, tick tock. Well, the year now is 1799. And in Kentucky, a posse was on the brothers' trail. One of these men is none other than Moses Stegall, the man whose wife and baby were taken away from him because of the ravenous, murderous brothers. And it's no surprise, no shock, that the man was devastated, heartbroken. He had hate in his heart. The need for justice ran through his veins. Moses needed to get these assholes once and for all. Two lives for two lives. And really, if you think about it, three lives. For he feels a part of him died the day he lost his family. They got death and he got a life sentence. Well, little Harp, he is able to escape from the posse for now. While big Harp is not so fortunate, he is shot two times. Once in the back and the other in his leg. The brutal murderer is yanked right off of his horse And as he lies on the ground, he admits to the posse of his involvement in at least 20 murders. Well, with revenge running wildly through his veins, Moses approaches Bloody Harp, the man responsible for snuffing the lives of his wife and baby, and cuts the still-alive Big Harp's head right off. The killer's head was picked up and put onto a pole and displayed for quite some time not too terribly far from Moses's family's cabin. Justice has been served. Even to this day, people still refer to this location as Harp's Head Road. Now fast forward to a few years later in 1804. Justice, well, it finally catches up with little Harp, who, by the way, is still very much up to his murderous no-good deeds. Talk about a dog who needs to be put down. I mean, the time is finally coming. He is captured in Mississippi. He was a known highwayman and an extremely murderous Mississippi River pirate. R indeed. He and a fellow pirate gang member, well, they are captured and they are executed by hanging. The pirate's heads, well, they are taken clean off and placed on stakes right on the Natchez trace trail. Left there as a warning to fellow murderers, highwaymen, pirates, and outlaws. Now, back to King's Tavern, it was during the time that they started construction and renovations that the paranormal activity seemed to peak, and I mean, no shocker there. I mean, it seems like that happens a lot when people start renovating homes or businesses or what have you, just kind of like conjures things up. Been there before, experienced it firsthand. Now, people have experienced seeing shadowy figures passing through the stairways, the very fireplace that concealed the bodies for so long will suddenly become piping hot as if there's a roaring fire crackling below. Doors will suddenly open and close on their own when no one is near them. 
Water will leak from the ceiling and onto the floor. And there is no water damage or leaky visible spots or stains or what have you. They've had it checked before. They have no clue where this water is actually coming from. And at times, things can get physical. For some who dare step foot into King's Tavern, nothing too crazy, mind you. I mean, you're not going to get attacked or something. But some have experienced feeling their hair getting pulled. Again, been there. King's mistress, Madeline has been known to haunt the tavern and has become known to be quite the prankster. She's not afraid to let herself be known. In fact, she loves that. She will knock things off the shelves. She'll rock chairs. She'll often spill water. She will also turn faucets on and off. While she seems happy and joking around, there is another spirit here. And unlike Madeline, he seems on the angry side. His apparition has been seen here quite a few times, always wearing a dark jacket with a black tie, string, and uh, pants. There have been many times when people visiting will take pictures at or nearby the fireplace, ah, that famed fireplace, and have actually caught his apparition on camera. Talk about a cool photo bomb, right? There was one time when a Natchez news crew was at King's Tavern and they catch a recording of a woman talking in a vacant room. Speaking of rooms, in one of the rooms upstairs, people have reported seeing the face of a man in one of the mirrors. And in that same room, people have experienced feeling noticeable warm spots on the bed as if somebody has been resting there. Among the spirits, there is one that in life you would not want to cross paths with. Big Harp is believed to haunt King's Tavern. And there are times that people have heard a baby crying uncontrollably upstairs. Now remember, Big Harp murdered a baby upstairs. It's believed that his tiny little victim also haunts the location. On more than one occasion, guests have heard the sounds of a baby crying when there's no baby there. Like, at all. Physically, no. Spiritually, yes. One woman says that one day she overheard a couple talking, basically discrediting the hauntings. It's hocus pocus. Got to love the know-it-alls, you know? Anyway, immediately after the smart-ass commonist said, a plate that was hanging on the wall and had been hanging there for who knows how long suddenly jumps off the brick wall. Quote, it just jumped right over the couple sitting at a small table. And it hit the floor really hard, just right beyond that particular table. King's Tavern Spirits 1, Tavern Guests and Ghost Naysayer 0. Gotta love it. One day, an employee was mopping in the tavern when he suddenly sees footprints on the wet floor, and those footprints are headed right towards him. That would be kind of creepy, but cool at the same time. Now, one guest shares that while there, she took several pictures, many in fact, and several of them she was actually in, and she noticed that every picture she was in herself that she was surrounded by these weird balls of light, while many other pictures that she was not in came out just perfectly. I found one account online of a woman who happened to be a former tour guide for the town of Natchez and for several years. She knows her shit. She gave a bit more detail when it comes to the bodies that were discovered in the chimney. Quote, The bodies were sent for a forensic examination. The report revealed that two of the skeletons were those of African-American males. The third was that of a teenage girl, approximately 16 years old. Who knows, maybe the angry man who's often seen here is one of the men who is concealed in the chimney. I'd be angry too if that happened to me. Not only are you murdered, but your body's concealed. Your family probably long gone, never knowing what happened to you. 
talk about a restless spirit, a lost soul. Now, we're leaving King's Tavern and its many residents. We now head on over to the Natchez City Cemetery, which is just a short six miles away. You can find this beautiful cemetery on the bluffs high above the Mississippi River. Now, in 1822, many of the remains from the town's earlier cemetery were exhumed and brought here to this new cemetery, or newer at the time, the burial grounds we now know as Natchez City Cemetery. So, okay, there's one burial here that really demanded my attention, and it kind of grabs and pulls and yanks hard at your heartstrings. So this is about a little girl who's 10 years old, forever 10, named Florence Irene Ford. In life, she dreaded storms, especially those loud thunderstorms. Every time a storm was coming, poor little Florence would run over to wherever her mother was. That was like her safety haven. Mama Bear would never let anything happen to her cub. And Her mother, Ellen, would sing to her, read to her, do anything to comfort her sweet little angel of a girl. Mother and daughter would ride out the storm together. They were storm buddies for life and in death. The young girl is on her knees in the washroom in front of a bucket. Her face, it's pale. She starts to gag. Tears come pouring down from her eyes. She wipes her mouth. Her mother is sitting on the ground, hand on her back, saying comforting words to her daughter. But in her heart of hearts, she knows that her baby girl is not getting any better. Suddenly, a drop of blood drops from her face. She raises her hand to her face. It's not tears coming from her eyes, but blood. Her mother hugs her. And mother and child weep together into the night. The year, it's 1871. And at the tender age of 10, Florence Irene Ford is one of the unfortunate souls to catch yellow fever. The illness is unforgiving and quickly snuffs the life out of the 10-year-old. Or should I say 10 years young? Her mother, Ellen, well, she's beyond devastated. And who the hell wouldn't be? Who could blame her? Every parent's worst nightmare, making preparations for your own child's funeral. I can't imagine no parent should have to ever go through such a grueling task. Living in Mississippi, Ellen Ford knew that storms were the norm. It was just something that happened a lot. She has stayed up many a night with Florence, praying the storms away. Please, dear Lord, let the storm pass. Please let it pass quickly. Keep us safe. Keep us safe, dear Lord. Even though Florence is now gone, Ellen couldn't help but feel anxious when storms came through. Mother Bear came up with a plan, a plan to protect her cub from beyond the grave. The 10-year-old's casket was specially crafted. Ellen had a small window built into the head of the tiny casket, and it was so tiny. And she basically made a walk in grave that was constructed. If you go to the Natchez City Cemetery and visit Florence today, you will notice what reminds me of those large storm cellar doors that leads you underground. Well, she has one of those. 
It's a hinged metal trap door that can close and open. So when these storms that terrified her in life, the door can close and she will be comforted in death. Every day, the grieving mother would go to the cemetery and walk down the few steps underground. And she would spend time with her deceased daughter doing things that she would do when Florence was alive. She would sing to Florence. She would read to her. She would talk to her, pray with her, comfort her, let her know that she was safe and that she was not alone and she was still very much loved and thought of. Today, you could still walk down those very same stairs that Ellen Ford walked down and comfort Florence during the storms. The glass window has long since been protected and covered up as, who the hell are we kidding? We live in crazy times where some thinks that it's okay to, you know, desecrate the dead in their eternal homes. Not on our watch, baby. Not on our watch. Now, I found an article that talks about a gentleman named Don. He is retired now. Good for him. But he used to be the cemetery director for several years. And he admits that he is not a believer when it comes to the paranormal and supernatural, but Florence's grave made him somewhat of a believer. On occasion, Don does do tours at the cemetery. And of course, one of the stops along the tour has to be the unique grave of the sweet 10-year-old Florence Ford, who died way, way, way too early due to yellow fever. Well, one day on his tour, he noticed a lady acting quite mm, eccentric. The woman shares that over a decade ago, when she was a little girl, her mother had brought her to visit the cemetery. And she clearly remembers stopping at the grave and her mother walking down Florence's steps. Well, suddenly, out of nowhere, her mom just frantically runs up the stairs, terrifying and screaming. She falls to the ground and starts rolling uncontrollably, desperately trying to get this foreign green substance off of her as it was all over her and it was very noticeable and it was actually glowing when nothing was on her earlier. She was fine when she walked down just seconds earlier. And it was not just mother and daughter who were there. The woman reliving the scary event shares that a cemetery worker happened to be on location really close by and saw the whole thing unravel as well. Now, after a few moments, which I am sure felt like a lot longer, like an eternity, the substance and glow, they vanish finally. The witness, the cemetery worker, walked over and grabbed some of this substance off of the ground and enough to form a little ball. He tosses it into the air and as this happened, it sparkled and vanishes before his very eyes. It's quite the story. I mean, the woman seemed to be truthful that this non-believer needed to do some more research before he can jump on the I believe you kind of train. He tracks down the cemetery worker and asks him about it. And the man tells him the exact thing the woman told him all those years earlier. Now, many have experienced odd things at Florence Ford's grave. While in the area, some have actually experienced feeling a hand on their shoulder, like in a comforting way. And who knows, perhaps this is Flo's mother, Ellen. Her nature was to be comforting. Perhaps she is comforting visitors, letting them know it's okay. And I mean, it would make total sense because Ellen was there almost every single day. And so she was there in life. So of course she'd be there in death. Makes sense. I imagine Florence is probably among the most popular and most visited of the graves here at the cemetery. I seriously would love to go there sometime. I love those unique grave plots, those crypts, those mausoleums. I just oh, love them. 
Her headstone reads, As bright and affectionate a daughter as ever, God with his image blessed. Now, this whole thing with mom coming every day to visit at the cemetery kind of reminds me of something that I witnessed myself back when I was in California. We had gone to Hollywood Forever Cemetery, which will be on an episode all in its own because it's worth it. And we were kind of wandering around. Now, Chris Cornell, my boy from Audio Slave and Soundgarden, had just passed away at this point. And I really wanted to pay my respects at his burial site. While in that area, I noticed that there was a temporary memorial for someone else who had passed away the year before, back in 2016, Anton Yelchin. And I'm really sorry if I butchered that name. So a woman had a chair there and she was sitting there and you could tell she was absolutely heartbroken. It was gut-wrenching to see. I walked just like a couple steps closer to see who it is and you can tell she was quite protective so I just kind of walked past her I I was like okay I'm gonna give you your space I just kind of like do a small smile to her and I walk past so for those who are not familiar with how he passed he was extremely young he was only 27 when a freak accident involving his jeep claimed his life so fast forward over five years later we're visiting the cemetery once again every time I'm in the Hollywood area visiting family, I always try to make it a point to go to this cemetery because it is so unique and beautiful where you could visit, you know, your favorite movie stars or musicians and what have you. Hang out with the peacocks. And so, again, fast forward five years later, we're here. This time my aunt and my cousin are with Justin and I. We were in the same area we were all those years earlier, and I am telling them about the woman that I saw back in 2017. And as we approach Antoine Yelkin's gravesite, and this wasn't here before during my first trip, but now stands a life-size statue of him, which is really cool. And I look at the funeral statue in awe, and I think back to the woman and where she may be now. Well, I do not have to think that for very long as I hear a sound and look behind the statue and at a nearby mausoleum just a few feet away is a woman sitting at its step, smoking a cigarette, staring quite intently at us, still very extremely protective. And I kid you not, this was the same woman. So I was really extremely curious. I look it up online just saying, you know, who's the woman who visits Anton Yelkin's grave every single day or whatever and all these links came up saying it was his mother and I can't imagine again just losing a child and dealing with that loss such a huge loss so to the mothers and fathers in the world like Florence's mother and Antoine's mother I am so sorry my heart really does go out to you uh thoughts and prayers go out to you and just know that your sweet children are looking after you Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They're equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? Really, there's no need to cry, I promise. You could just head on over to any of those podcast platforms and you could start listening and binge listening right now. Hit up those platforms such as Antenna Pod, Castro, Owl Tail, Castbox, Stitcher, 
wherever you may roam to listen to your other phenomenal podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowler's podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to the Republic of Singapore, Prince George, Canada, South San Francisco, California, Canterbury, England, and Saugerties, New York. As always, you guys, thank you so much. It's greatly appreciated. Do you have a spine-tangling story to share of your own? Maybe a hair-raising legend? Want to be a voiceover for a future episode? Find me on the Paranormal Prowlers podcast page on Facebook. Or you could email me at paraprowl at gmail.com. That's P-A-R-A-P-R-O-W-L at gmail.com. Thanks, and we will see you next week.